You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. The term Desert Island Album comes up often when folks who love music are conversing. If music is your main hobby or passion, you can probably name five pretty easily. Many go with Led Zeppelin IV, Appetite for Destruction, Kiss Destroyer, Cheap Trick at Budokan, Beatles The White Album, Back in Black, and for my partner in crime, Stephen Michael, it's Van Halen 1. Well, all the regular listeners know that I'm a bit off the beaten path on stuff like this, and although all those albums I mentioned are incredible, one of my personal Desert Island albums is Lord Tracy's Deaf Gods of Babylon, released 1989. We will get to why in a few minutes, but we are honored and I am downright fanboy, super excited to have with us the lead singer and guitarist of Lord Tracy, Mr. Terry Glaze. Oh yeah. And by the way, Terry was the original singer for, you know, some little band called Pantera, whatever. How are you, sir? I am doing excellent. How are you guys? <laughs> We're awesome. <laughs> Me too. Welcome to Friday night, baby. Woo, we're all sitting at home in front of our computer. Woo! (laughs) That's right. Life doesn't get any better for us. Not much more. (laughs) Terry, let's dive straight into this. So with most musicians... I figure most musicians are a little bit of fanboys themselves. And so where did your fandom with rock and roll start. Do you remember the first album you bought with your own money? Kiss Alive 2. I went down to Ecker Drugs and bought it at the drugstore, Kiss Alive 2, with my own money. Ecker Drugstores, man, that's not one you hear too often. Side 4, Ace Freely, Rocket Ride. That was it for me. All right, so like so many others, it does start with Kiss, doesn't it? Ace Freely's the man. (laughs) That's why we see that lightning bolt strap on you every once in a while. I knew it was Ace. It is not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Amongst Kiss, you also uh, have talked about in the past, April Wine, Def Leppard, Cheap Trick. Those are among yeah. some of your favorite bands, right? That's where it all starts for you? That's where playing in rock and roll bands started. My first bands, when we got together in high school, Those were the kind of songs that I loved and that we played. And they weren't too difficult, so we could kind of, you know, sound a little bit similar, and at least you could recognize maybe what we were trying to do. It wasn't like Van Halen. I mean, that was difficult. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've talked to other guitar players, and did you come in on Kiss when you were learning how to play guitar and things like that? Before I even knew how to play guitar, I used to just stand on air guitar on top of a chair with my acoustic and pretend I was playing guitar to like kiss alive one. I didn't even know how to play. I just thought it was so cool. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is I've talked to a lot of guitar players and one of the things that drew them into kiss when they were learning to play guitar was that they could pull off the Ace Frehley solos and it was something that they could achieve and learn how to play and gave them confidence learning other things. You know, Ace's solos are, I would say deceptively simple. And yeah, we could get to him, but he's still one of my favorites. And maybe that was the the gateway or the portal into it, but I still love that stuff. So even though that's where I started, it's still been a big influence my whole career. So now 
you decide that you're going to be the singer and front man. Were there front men that influenced you too? Like, did you, were you in front of the mirror pretending to be somebody? Well, I mean, for me, it was David Lee Roth was who I wanted to be, you know? So when we finally started getting to it, so I started off playing piano. I couldn't sit still. So I moved to guitar. I couldn't sit still. And then I got a wireless microphone so I could run around the stage. And that's kind of where I got the idea. You never would. You never would have felt that in the music. You know, you that that attitude just doesn't come across in the music. And I say that completely laughingly because, because it does so come through the music. You can almost feel it without I, without even seeing the band live. You can feel it in every project I've done. I always wanted to have some fun, and I wanted that to come through the music. And I just remember every time we saw Van Halen. It was just the most fun, you know, party show. And, and, and it just was really uh, and it, a big influence on me and what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I'm talking about David Lee, not after the first six records. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> you and I think alike. Our friend Sonny is a little bit after the times, but that's all right. <laughs> I love Sammy Hagar. I do too. I, but, but I love Van Halen. <laughs> I think that's probably the fact that we're you and I are both a little bit older than Sonny, not by much, but probably a little bit. So probably a little more sophisticated too. Uh, that's possible. Uh, abs- absolutely, <laughs> and, and better looking, and just have a better taste in music. And uh, what else? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I didn't feel the need to go there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> So you meet Vinnie Paul in high school and, and you want to start a band and Vinnie's like, what, fine, as long as you take my kid brother to join the band too. Did the kid, did the kid brother impress you immediately? Was, was Daryl a good guitar player back at the beginning? Well, I mean, when you're in high school and this little kid from middle school is standing over there with a little Afro and a Les Paul copy, I mean, you're like, dude, you're just, you know, so he was not fully formed yet, like a cicada or a butterfly, or I don't know which one it is. But quickly, he turned into uh, what you know of as Dimebag Daryl or whatever. And uh, within a few years, it was obvious that he was something special. Yeah. So all you guys graduate high school, roller coaster begins. If I'm not mistaken, the drinking age was probably 18 in Texas at that time. I can only imagine the crazy times. It was the greatest time to be in a heavy metal rock and roll band in the history of Western civilization. (laughs) So we were 16. Most of the girls had fake IDs and the music of the day was fun. Vincent Darrell's father was our manager. And so here we are playing all across the state of Texas in all these rock and roll bars dressed in spandex playing, you know, all these tunes and chasing girls and drinking beer. And it was pretty awesome. So let me ask you this at the beginning, how did, because you guys quickly got into writing your own songs and, and that's how, you know, you guys came about those first few albums, but how did the songwriting process work with you guys? Were you guys all in a rehearsal room together and you just banged out different things or were there different dynamics in the songwriting in those early days? Well, when we first got together, when we were in high school, we were actually a five piece. Our singer was Donnie Hart, 
He went to Sam Houston, I think, uh, the next high school over. And the five of us had a band. But originally, my favorite band was and is Cheap Trick. And I wanted to write songs. And then I realized I wanted to sing my own songs. And when when we got together with Vince and Daryl, I was highly aware that their father worked at a recording studio. And so I wanted to write songs and record originals. And so originally we started writing songs and, you know, they were awful. And you're trying to write songs that are kind of inspired from your heroes and whatever. But when we became apparent that I wanted to sing my own songs, that's how it kind of went from a five piece to a four piece. And so I would write songs and bring them to the rehearsal Vincent Darrell would write on music, would work on riffs and music, and maybe I would write lyrics to those songs. And then um, also their father would write lyrics to some of the music that they wrote. So like on the first album, I think uh, Heavy Metal Rules, mm. I can't take credit for that. those genius lyrics. Yeah. That was actually their father. So it was all a little bit of each, but we all, we lived for it. And we, thank goodness for their mother, she let us jam in their garage every day. And that's all we did. All we wanted to do was play. We practiced and we played parties and we played at the skating rink. And then their dad started getting us gigs and he would come run sound for us. And that's all we wanted to do. We were pretty super focused on it. And uh, I wasn't thinking about a career. It was just something fun to do. You know, it wasn't year, until years later that I had to make a decision. Did I? What did I want to be when I grew up? And I was like, well, can I keep doing what we're doing? <laughs> it was just easy did any of those early songs did they end up getting a heavier treatment at some point or uh, and becoming songs that ended up on pantera as we know them today not not really the stuff from before metal magic was surprisingly not even as good as metal magic so what we, what we would typically do is when we got 10 songs we would go record and put out a record yeah Alt Projects was 10 more songs and we put them out and, you know, we would just sell them off the bandstand. Yeah, there were no, there were no uh, riffs and bits and pieces hanging around is, is what Not you're really. saying. We were constantly trying to come up with something new. Yeah. So by the time Metal Magic came out, we might have recorded 20 or 30 songs already. I mean, the growth between the first, uh, the first two Pantera records to me is a bit noticeable. The first three songs from projects in the jungle i mean i i love some of those riffs like i told you earlier all over tonight i used to punk some of my friends and go hey i got the new this new Def leopard song because to me all over tonight sounds like it could come straight off a of high and dry
that's what had happened. Those those records had come out in between our records. We got inspired. We were playing all those songs, and you're growing, and you're learning how to be a professional, and you're learning how to be a performer, and you're just getting inspired. Projects in the Jungle is Def Leppard and Motley Crue and Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah, agree, agreed. Can you pinpoint a time, uh, you know, when Vinny and Daryl said, hey, you know, we want to go in a heavier, non-melodic direction? Was there a point in time where that happened? I don't think so. I think it was just a normal progression. But, I mean, when that High and Dry record came out, we played almost the entire album. And, you know, we had discovered um, Motley Crue, their first album had come out. And that's where, you know, that song Like Fire comes from. And we had just, you know, you just got inspired by your heroes. We never thought, we always thought like, why not us? I mean, there's going to be another Van Halen and, and we just thought, why not us? Someone's going to do it. So we weren't really intimidated and maybe we were too stupid to, to know that it was unreachable. We, we just always thought if we just keep pushing the envelope, we're going to get there. Well, and I think you guys were on the on the proper path. I mean, I'd seen an earlier interview with you or with somebody that said, you know, you guys just basically sent in your tapes to these metal mags, which is how we got our information back then. But you sent all your tapes into these metal mags and got the write-ups and you are getting written up right next to the Armored Saints and the Metallicas and all these bands. I mean, that's how I discovered you guys back in the day. That's how I discovered all my music back in the day was pretty much through Krang Magazine and Metal Edge and all these different, uh, you know, Metal Hammer, all these mat and these uh, fanzines, I guess they basically were. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember all of that and getting a, a review was a big deal to us and feeling like you were on the same playing field with all those other guys, whether it was Metallica or Megadeth or Anthrax or whatever. And um, it, it was it was real important. We were just talking about the other day about how I think when we got that first Metal Edge cover, it was a really big deal. So before we move on to the Lord Tracy stuff, just one more thing on Pantera. So you're not in Pantera anymore. Vulgar Display comes out a little bit later. I know it's... I'm not in the band? No, no, no. <laughs> We've just moved on here. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I know I've heard you say that Vulgar is your favorite Pantera record. Was it like, did it hit you immediately or was it kind of a grower? Were you surprised what they had become? Well, after I left Pantera, it must have been like, I don't know, 86 or 87. I immediately got in my next band. And to tell you the truth, I, I really wasn't paying attention to what they were doing. And then I'm out on the road with the Def God's record and I run into Rex and Daryl and uh, I think in Columbus, Ohio. And after their first album, uh, Lord Tracy was playing in uh, Dallas and Daryl came out to our show, jumped on stage, jammed, jumped, you know, stage dive, whatever. And after the show, we went out in the limo and he had a cassette rough mix of Vulgar. And we went out in the parking lot and he played me the rough mixes of Vulgar. And he sat there in the limo, air guitaring, you know, mouth for war. And he looked at me and he goes, what do you think? I said, Van Halen. He was like, I know, right? <laughs> and, and that's why I think that record is so powerful to me because I can still kind of see me and Daryl sitting there and him air guitar into the tracks. And that is my favorite Pantera album. I love what Daryl did. I always love what Daryl did, but that record in particular, that was just the best for me. That's awesome. All right, well... 
needless to say, like Sonny told you, unfortunately, you're not in Pantera anymore. I know. Oh, no. Let, let it go. We're gonna. Right. We're gonna move on. So, Kenley Wolf, uh, we know you sought him out to start a band. Let me ask you this. This guy is pretty ridiculous in his talent. Uh, why do you think his name isn't mentioned with the likes of guys like Sheehan and Steve Harris and some of those dudes? Because he's crazy. Uh, I think that's an understatement. I think Kenley is one of the most underappreciated musicians on the planet. I describe him as Billy Sheehan with soul. had the it like Daryl had the it and when I it was obvious that I was going to be done with Pantera he was the first person that I thought of and I went over to they called me to come over to check them out the three-piece band and I went over there with you know the intention of stealing uh Kenley away from them it's just that when we got together and jammed they were so cool and then the the cherry on top was when they asked me did I know any cheap trick and did I want to jam a, a tune? We played California Man, and it was so cool. And it and that was it for me, man. I was in. I forgot my whole business plan of stealing Kinley. And before you know it, we were in Memphis the next weekend. They asked me, "Do I want to join the band?" I said yes. And then we were just a name change away from Lord Tracy. <laughs> which which brings us to this. So so is it true that the original name of the band was the Tracy Lords? And she wanted uh, some compensation for that? Absolutely. I wanted her to come in the studio and sing. And we got some kind of crazy legal thing that she wanted credit this and lead vocal this. And and uh, I was young and full of it. I should have said yes. But I was an idiot. And I said no. And uh, to this day, I regret it. If anybody knows Tracy out there, I'd like to reach out to her and ask for forgiveness and hopefully that we can get back together and finish what we never got to end, you know, and bring it to completion. Didn't she end up, she ended up putting out an album of her own at one point. Didn't she do some sort of a music, uh, like an album or something? Sonny, do you know if she, she did? I have no clue. I, I'm telling you, I think she did. I We can uh, call up the mighty Google gods and uh, ask them, but uh, I think she ended up doing an album. She wanted to, you know how it is. They wanted to explore music and acting and all these other things, and uh, I think she did. I, as well as the rest of Lord Tracy, we are huge fans of Tracy Lords, and we would love to get together in any way possible, be the backup band for her or Anything that we could do, we're there. We love her. That's awesome. You and every red-blooded 16-year-old kid <laughs> from that time period loved her. Yeah, yeah, but we've got history. We've got a lot of uh, possibilities there. <laughs> that, yeah. that is true. <laughs> All right, so you're on tour with Deaf Gods. We were talking about this before we started recording. April 6, 90, I go 
see you at the stone. You're opening for Ace Braley. Luckily, thank God I didn't miss opening bands back then because, uh, I always kind of wanted to hear new music and I had heard a couple of songs from you guys, but I didn't really know you guys. And I'm a major kiss guy and Ace is my favorite guy. I gotta tell you, you guys blew him off stage that night. So I had to come back and see it again the next night in Oakland. And then you never came back to California again. I never saw you guys again. What happened? Uh, it wasn't cause we didn't want to come back. It just didn't happen. Have you ever seen the movie Spinal Tap? Yeah, of course. That band, that story was based on Lord Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why that movie hits home for so many bands, because yes. I think it's based on a lot of bands. But that was actually based on us, our record company and our distribution and our support. That was actually, yes, that was from the movie. We lived it in true, true fashion. That was actually uh, my life. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> How was the Ace Tour? It lasted, uh, what, 20, 30 dates? Or was it longer than that? I don't know. We went across from the East Coast to the West Coast, and it was an amazing period. Ace was so cool, and his band was cool, and the crew was cool. We all hung out together, and it was just such a great experience. So let me ask you, because I've heard this from a lot of different artists, especially the ones that were on MCA. And you guys were on MCA, so maybe you can corroborate the story. But, you know, I mean, MCA didn't necessarily seem like they understood how to handle hard rock bands at that period of time. I mean, there was a joke going around. MCA stood for what? Uh, Musician's Cemetery, uh, something like that. Well, what happened was when we signed, several labels came out to see us and we, I went to New York and I went to LA and I met all these people. Well, MCA had a different president and they were starting up a subdivision called Uni, UNI. And UNI, from I believe from history, was had somehow been involved with Hendrix when his records came out. And so we were supposed to be the first American rock band that got signed to this label. And we were going to be one of six. And we were like, man, we cannot... We cannot lose with this because they have to focus on us. They cannot let us not be a success. And right before our record came out, the label got absorbed into MCA with a different record company uh, president. So we went from one of six to one of 600, and no one in the uh, marketing department even knew who we were. And so that's kind of the story of Lord Tracy. We all of a sudden were dropped on a label that was famous for, you know, Bell Bib DeVoe and freaking Tom Petty, you know, or Elton John. And we just, we just got lost in the track. I didn't, we didn't know anyone. And so it was, it was not optimal. It was not the best of situations, even though everybody was cool. It just, you know, we didn't have anybody that had been in the trenches with us. We were just kind of handed out to, like I said, people we didn't know. It was, it was not the greatest. Yeah, and I think there were some other, I mean, I think you had label mates that were alongside you in that battle. I think uh, bands like, I think Sweet F.A. was on MCA at one point in time. I know Night Ranger was. So I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a common thread with MCA back at this period of time. Well, that's that's actually what happened after Death Gods. When we were getting ready to do the next record, I didn't want to, quote, waste another album. And so I asked them to release us and, uh, you know, I'm young and stupid and they, they eventually did release us. But in hindsight, you want to have that other label 
already in the wings before you break up with your girlfriend. And so when we broke up with MCA, then we couldn't get a date to the next prom. And then we were out on our own. And so next time you want to, you want to already have that next one on on hook. You're like the idiot that quits the six figure job before you actually have another job. <laughs> I mean, I think idiot is strong, but it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, so let's do I lie to your wife. <laughs> so let's get into Deaf God's record. We we figured we'd go track by track and hear a few of the stories, the inspiration for some of the songs, etc. Oh, yeah. Let's start with Mark Dobson produced the record. Uh, rumor is it that Neil Kernan was going to originally produce this record, but it didn't happen. That is a a classic story. Okay. Okay. So, Neil Kernan, and the reason I know this story is because Neil told me this story 10 years ago. I'm friends with Neil now. So, Neil comes into Dallas to see the band. We're playing at a bar. He's blonde. He's got two hot chicks on his shoulders. And we play a set. And then the next band says, we ain't going on. And they leave. And we go, well, hell, we're here. So we play another set. And Neil gets to see us twice. And Neil says, later, he says, we are the only band he ever wanted to do that told him no. So according to Neil, he says, me, in my David Lee Roth wisdom, I walk up to Neil and say, so uh, who have you uh, recorded? Who have you done? And he says, well, I did the latest Queensryche and I did the latest Dawkins, thinking that that's what I'm going to like. Well, I didn't like those bands. So I said, oh, that's great, man. And I just tuned him out and freaking walked off and split. Now, Neil doesn't know that my favorite band is Cheap Trick. I find out years later, Neil worked on Neil Diamond Records and Sex Pistols stuff and Queen. But Neil did all of those huge Hall & Oates records. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know because there's no internet. We can't look up and right. do any research. It, and I told Neil, if Neil would have said, well, I did You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall & Oates, I would have got on my knees and begged Neil to do our record. <laughs> that's crazy years later years later we reconnected neil mixed the lord tracy pornigan record from maybe 10 years ago and that friendship started and he's recorded my last two uh duo albums over the last 10 years i'm a huge fan of neil i was just an ignorant young idiot back then that didn't say well queen's right doc and that's fine but is there anything else you've done? I would just, you know, what would David Lee Roth do? Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. knows? <laughs> That's good. So we're going to start out with Out With The Boys, the opening track. Show 
Video looks tons of fun. Jimmy's playing that Steinberger, and uh, you know Eddie's oozing out of him. Tell us a little bit about Jimmy Ruzadoff, and tell us a little bit about the video. Jimmy Ruzadoff was the heart and soul of Lord Tracy. I just didn't realize it at the time. Jimmy wrote that song that first night when I went in to jam with those guys, intent on stealing Kenley from the band. I'm pretty sure Jimmy had that song. Jimmy was from Arkansas and Memphis. So he put that Southern cool thing he had on top of Van Halen, and that's where that song came out. That place we shot the studio, pretty sure that was the uh, strip club where Motley Crue did Girls, Girls, Girls. And uh, we were aware of that. We hired a bunch of models from Playboy for the day, and we shot all day, and we had a ball, man. That was as much fun as that video looks. It was even more fun shooting that video. Great experience. Cool song. Lucky for me to be in a band with Jimmy Ruzadoff. Now, you got to realize I've heard this album probably two, three thousand times. So is the cough on purpose? Is the cough on purpose or was it a lucky mistake? Well, at first it accidentally happened. Then I was like, I kind of dig that. And it just kind of. You know, it kind of grew, and then it turned into a thing, and uh, it's powerful. You're right when you tell me it's amazing. I mean, who am I to argue with you? <laughs> <laughs> and seeing the fun guy that you are, why do I have this feeling that every time you're leaving the house, there's this j- running joke with your wife that says, see you later, I'm going out with the boys? Is that the running joke? Well, I mean, I got a lot of clever things that I say to my wife, and lucky for me, she tolerates me, so... Uh, you know, I, I think I'm really clever, so there you go. We we heard some of the clever things already, like take the mute off of your Skype. Yes, yes. 
Hey, let me tell y'all. I'm one of the few men that knows my wife is smarter than me. <laughs> well, we were going to talk about it later, but you married a rocket scientist, physicist, tomato, tomato, whatever. But you married up, man. Lucky you. I got it. I got Apple stock before it went, you know, out to the people. <laughs> I did well. Most of my friends dated strippers. I dated a college student and mine got worth more as she got older. Unlike maybe some of my other friends. Well, you know, I've met a lot of strippers that said they're studying to be rocket scientists. So that's something. <laughs> well, I know a lot of strippers that weren't rocket scientists. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think I actually know a lot of strippers. <laughs> but the strippers I do know are definitely not rocket scientists. <laughs> Well, we're big supporters of a kick-ass opening track, so it was the perfect opening track. Thanks. All right, so on to East Coast Rose. So, is Rose a real person? Not that I know of. Although, I will tell you a little side story. I was playing a show up in Warren, Pennsylvania a couple months ago, and these people came up to me, and they were like, man, I love that song, but I always thought it was called East Coast Hose. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i know i was like that's awesome what did i think of that the guitar parts at the beginning i love it uh so it's nice to have an album that have kind of a back-to-back -back punch uh to kick off the records and i think both these songs out with the boys and uh, east coast rose are a fantastic one-two punch to open up this record i love it Cat. 
I think I was just trying to sound like Aerosmith. Yeah. All right. So she's a bitch is next. Now, I guess what we want to know is were the suits at MCA at all worried about some of these songs? Like, I can't imagine they signed off and she's a bitch or were you guys just uh, kind of had open, you know, whatever you guys wanted to do? Well, like I said, being one of six, this small little corner of MCA, we actually were hands off. Nobody actually knew what we were doing. Our A&R person never showed up, and we were there. That's the song I wanted Tracy Lords to sing on. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Would have been amazing. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kinley's riffing on that song's outstanding, and then he does Barney's Wank, and is that just, hey, I want to show off for a minute and let him show off, or was that like a lick from something else? I, that's just what he sounds like all the time. That's just... <laughs> It could have been any moment of the day. If he had an instrument, that's what he sounded like. He was just, it was incredible. Incredible. And let me just say that I haven't mentioned it yet, but his best friend from third grade was on drums. That's Chris Craig. And he's one of the greatest drummers on the planet. And them two together is just an unstoppable uh, rhythm section. Nobody sounds like them two together. So. Yeah, we were going to mention that a bit later because all the tempo changes you're doing and how tight you guys were live. I don't know a lot about Chris. What's his background besides he's a great drummer? Kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> <laughs> Does that actually say that on his resume? <laughs> it, should. it should. Let me tell you about this. For you to be so sophisticated to notice all those tempo changes, just so you know, we sat down and, and totally 
wrote all those things out because we were very technical. <laughs> Listen, we're geeks at heart, but so oh. did you just want Barney to have his own wanker section or what? That's that's why you guys put that in there or you need it to take 37 Absolutely. seconds up? It was just part of the live show. Yeah. It was just a snippet of the, the live show. If you've seen any of the videos on YouTube, go to them and find Kenley Wolf Barney live on YouTube. It was incredible. He'd sit up there and freaking wail for 20 minutes, freaking melt your face off. And so we were just trying to give people a taste of who I thought was the best bass player on the planet. I still think he's the greatest. Awesome. All right. On to what you're doing. What you doing? So this, what it, what in the hell is the weird noise at the beginning? That is me making some weird, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, Barney wrote the music for that. And I wrote the lyrics and I was just trying to channel Cheap Trick. All right. Well, so this song definitely it has a more a bit more punk influence than some of the other songs. But what I love about this song in particular is I really love the pre-chorus and the bridge because it's stupidly melodically simple. I mean, it's really, really good. It feels good. And I just I love that little pre-chorus and bridge to the to the chorus. It's great. I love this song. It's fantastic.
Thank you so much. I'm going to take that as a compliment, and uh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, how else can you take it? <laughs> well, you know, I think Sonny knows where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> Listen, if you're if you're busting my balls about the simplicity thing, man, that's some of the best songs in rock and roll. Exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so what amazes me about the next track, Chosen Ones, is this fun party band has a serious side. And this ballad, I mean, ever talk about releasing it as a single would have been huge in 89.90. Man, thanks. We were able to get two singles and we couldn't get any more. Um, I'll just tell you that I think we got the band together in 86. In 87, I went over and did a semester of college in London. and. Half of the songs on Death Gods I wrote when I was in London. And a lot of songs came from, say, stickers that you would see in a phone booth or whatever. That song, Chosen Ones, in particularly, came back from London. And it was pretty much based on um, uh, Billy Idol. I just wanted to do something kind of like that. And that's kind of where I was coming from with that song. But I've had a lot of people through the through the years come and tell me how much that song meant to them. And it, it just makes my day. Now, when you say Billy Idol, are you talking about something like um, the feel of eyes without a face? Exactly. I just didn't want to say it out loud. I was trying to leave something for you so you'd have a you know a point to bring up. Perfect. Well, you know, I would have never guessed that until you just said that. And then I kind of, the bass, the bass has that feel at the beginning. So I, I did make the connection a little bit. That's That's cool. You know, it's now everyone is aware that the three of us are have this connection going now and it's like we're talking without actually moving our mouth <laughs> without a face i don't know something go ahead those, i've understood that those are the best kind of interviews when you can actually talk without moving your mouth they, they call them ventriloquist uh interviews from what i understand that's really weird sonny uh, yes sir thank you you want to take this next one <laughs> yes sir <laughs> oh man okay so steven you want to talk about in your eyes next yeah sure in your eyes is the next song and uh what was the inspiration for this song probably rat rat the band probably the band rat maybe i don't know just a riff i had i don't know yeah so the guitar and bass worker outstanding the song reminds me of something Song reminds me of something, but I can't place my finger on it. That was the notes I put.
for some reason, I think it's it was influenced by the band Rat. That kind of bump, 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 bump. I think, but it's a cool song. We just had all these songs, and you know, when we recorded Deaf Gods, we had another whole album worth of material that we were hanging on to for the next album. We just, I don't know why, how we chose those. We just liked those songs. We had a lot of material. So Rats Motel, I think it's got kind of a blues feel to it. So prostitutes, possible murder, everybody stays up, no sleep, closing your eyes, maybe a little dangerous. I think I've stayed there. Where's this hotel at? That is Kelly Craig. And Kelly Craig is the drummer's brother. Kelly Craig and who's? the photographer friend of mine. I'm going to think of it here in a minute. Um, they had a house in Memphis. And whenever we would go play in Memphis to play shows at the stage stop, we would stay at their house. And uh, that was the Rats Motel. And so the song is basically the drummer's brother's house. Ken. Ken uh, was his roommate, photographer, great guy. And uh, we would go stay there. And that was their house. And that's where the song came from. The lyrics are basically... The place we used to sleep on the floor whenever we went to Memphis to play it. We would we lived in Dallas, but we would drive to Memphis every other weekend uh, to play live shows. That's actually where we got quote discovered. The first guy who decided they wanted to sign us. So that's where that song comes from.
that's a true life experience. Kind of like the show Cops. <laughs> All right. So I'm a huge ballad fan. And who doesn't like something like Foolish Love? Oh, to stock in your true love, right? Uh, I got to say, I mean, it, uh, at the time this is coming out, it's better than anything Poison or Motley Crue's doing ballad-wise. And it's just as good as anything Bon Jovi or Whitesnake's doing. I, I just feel for you. This thing should have been a huge hit. Thank you. You still play it live every once in a while? Hell yeah, I played it earlier today. Sometimes I just sit in the house and I just play that song over and over. And I think, isn't this awesome? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I love the song. It's just so, you know, it's so what you just said. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, then then we go from Foolish Love to She-Man Blues, which is a beautiful transition. Thank you so much. That was just Jimmy R and us, you know, feeling the music come through us kind of like a healer or maybe like a person with one of those sticks that's looking for a diviner that's looking for, you know, water under the ground. A lot like that. That's how I, how I visualize that song. 
So this song is a bit of a sort of a I'll call it a Nostradamus song. And and why I call it that is because given the current state of the country, this would be labeled as a gender equality song, wouldn't it? We were all about that back then. We were very, way ahead of our of the times and we were all about that shit and more. My biggest recollection of this song growing up was uh I used to have a ritual with all my buddies uh, when you would uh, kind of sit around the, the band house, drink beer, and get ready to go out for the evening, right? And you're always jamming music. And this song would come out, and of course we would be uh, halfway to drunk at this point and uh, just have a great time singing this as a group. It was fantastic. That makes me really happy. A little side question. Can you guys still see me on this video camera? We can. <laughs> okay, cheers. <laughs> I can't see you. As you might have noticed, my glass has not gone empty. <laughs> Those are the best kind of glasses. The, they eternally stay full. Yes. I'm up next with uh, King of the Nighttime Cowboys. That's the next song. Wrote that song in London. The idea was... Uh, male adult porn star. Also, Jason and the Scorchers. Okay. Those things mixed together. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking not many lyricists can get away with uh, how well Hi Hi Ho and Yippee Yippee A uh, <laughs> and make them sound great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Elton John couldn't pull that shit off. Well, you know, uh, I appreciate that. And uh, you just made my night. Thank you. <laughs> and and who the hell is Johnny? Is that a real person? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's his stage name. <laughs> okay, so it's nobody. It's nobody we know. As far as you know. Three H C. This mama mama mayonnaise. I don't know how many times I've said that in my life. Because <laughs> for some reason it got stuck in my head. The <laughs> rapid skills are impressive, by the way. So, so. <laughs> Uh, Steven, did you see us do three-headed chick? I never saw you guys live. Sonny saw you uh, live. Sonny, did you see us do three-headed chick? We probably did it. Yes. So here's where that came from. Two live crew. Hey, we want some pussy. Okay. So it was crazy. It was, you know, you can't do this shit. So we started in Dallas and the drummer, Chris, put hard hats on the three of us. And he would play drums on our heads with a drum machine going in the background. Well, after a while, these girls, after they got off work at the adult male dancing club, they would come out and see us. And then they started bringing their own customized hard hats. So all of a sudden, we have professional dancer girls. So immediately, I decide it's better to let Chris smash them on their heads than us on our heads because we've been on our knees and he's playing on our heads so we start getting girls then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then it, by the time we get signed we're playing dallas there's 20 girls on their knees on the front <laughs> of the stage and chris is playing drums and we're rapping and and uh you know showing off our 
our coolness. And, uh, and that's kind of where it started from. And uh, so I came up with three and a chick. Well, then Jimmy had to come up with a rap. Barney came up with a rap. Hell, even Chris came up with a rap. All equally excellent. <laughs> and that's where that came from. So that song, really what happened was, like I said, a two live crew from Miami was doing something filthy. And we jumped on the filthy bus and we rode it as far as we could go. And that's kind of where Three Headed Chick comes from. I still have people contact me or whenever I play live. We were in Warren, Warren, Pennsylvania. And some girl came up to me into my face and sang the entire Three Headed Chick to my face. And all I could say was, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right. So did she at any point say hashtag me too? <laughs> no, she just said mayonnaise. And I was like, yeah, baby. When somebody says that, you know they're serious. Oh, yeah. The serious fan. All right. So submissions next. Did you know Sam Kinison? Because say it, say it. That's obviously Sam Kinison. I think that was subliminally where I was coming from, but I don't know. It was just a riff I had, but yes. And we were. We were in that movie. I actually saw Sam close to some of his last shows when I was in Hollywood. I saw him uh, perform. It was awesome. Awesome. But yes, I think that's where that came from. As I said before, we weren't interested in paying actually any other talented people to be on our record, uh, i.e. Tracy Lords. Yeah. Was she talented? Super talented. <laughs> in, so, are, in so many ways. When we are off the record and we're done recording, I'll tell you a little side Tracy Lord story uh, that happened within the last six months. All right. Okay. All right. Continue. We got to go on to Piranha because this is a song about a fish. <laughs> okay. So as we said before, I was in a heavy metal band before Lord Tracy. And I felt like most of the heavy metal bands were maybe taken in some things a tad too serious. And so... I decided that I would do my version of that and yet possibly, you know, make a little fun or take the piss out of everybody else that was so serious. And that's kind of where that came from. And if you listen to that, the musicianship by the other three guys is world-class. Yes. And the goldfish crackers were fun. Uh, uh, the drums on that song are killer. I mean, that's Chris Craig guys, world-class. This is a song about a fish and fish are bad! Bad! Yes, he will. Cause he's a 
when you guys played this album for the record company for the first time and you're turning in, did the suits ever go, what the fuck? <laughs> they were either not interested, shocked, or they thought it was another Bruce Springsteen album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the first two. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. But I mean, it's a lot like Thunder Road. the next song's a lot like thunder road ivory lover i mean that was uh, my wife's loving it well Ivory lover was just me playing the piano the engineer recorded it he was like you want to put that on i was like hell yeah and so i credited it as paul zadig which is ridiculous story and i remember later my uh manager was like who's paul zadig we don't have to pay him i was like Peter, it's okay. It's me. It's like, okay, fine. So that's just me playing the piano. <laughs> was it, I mean, was it ever, was it something you just had an idea for? Is it something you ever turned into a full on piece or what? I mean, you know, just creativity just oozed out of us. And that was just a moment in time. I mean, you could have recorded something else and it would have been something different. I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I figured when when he was about to say creati- creativity oozed out of him, I could hear him almost in Ricky Bobby's voice going, I piss excellence. You're welcome. You have no clue how close you are right now. You have no clue. That, I would like to have a quote, a little recording of that meme, because I want that to be my, you know, my, on my phone when someone calls me. I piss excellence? Yeah, I'm You're- just saying I piss excellence. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So when I'm talking to people about Lord Tracy, usually I give them, you know, if I'm telling them, check you guys out, I usually give them out with the boys, piranha, foolish love. And my favorite song, 17 years, which obviously isn't on that record. Shut up. You love yeah, that my song? favorite song, 17 years. You want to hear that song? <laughs> sure.
to measure how long it's in circumference. Cause baby, that's all that really matters. Seventeen years. You want to hear the story about that one? Yeah, I do. Okay, we're at the Rats Motel. Kelly Craig and Ken Walker, and they have a guitar in the corner. And I pick up the guitar, and it's not in tune. And I just start strumming open strings, vamping, and that's where that song came from. And underage girls. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's what that song is. That song was we used to try and push the envelope so far. I mean, we would try to do a couple good songs. Well, we used to push the envelope and see how much we could get away with. This is why we probably weren't on the same success level as Bon Jovi. <laughs> we could have used some adults in the room. <laughs> so the other stuff that you've done, whether it's Mike and Terry, the crayfish or raised by gods. We're, we're jumping out. We're not on. Yeah, we're, we're jumping right, out ahead. a little bit. All right, go ahead. I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff. You're all over the place. I, I heard what she gives the other day again. And I'm like, I thought it was a print song when it popped up the first time I ever heard it. You're just, uh, whatever the mood strikes, play it, record it. Don't try and put me in a box. Don't put baby in the corner. <laughs> That's from uh, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? Okay, I'll go on. Well, I have many styles and many uh, things which I like to share with my uh, peeps. How about that? That's fair. Okay, fine. Can we move on? Can we cut this out? Go ahead. <laughs> You've been making records with an East Coast, West Coast relationship since the 2000s without being in the same room. Uh, so that's commonplace these days. I think uh, maybe you invented that process, didn't you? I think us and Bare Naked Ladies were way ahead of the curve. Yes, thank you. And you're welcome. So when I lived in L.A., 90, 89 to 94, I guess. I met uh, a drummer, Mike Harrington, one of my most favorite people on the planet and an amazing drummer. Uh, so when I moved to the East Coast, he and I talked about ideas to keep playing music. So Mike and I uh, did several records that I put out on iTunes called, surprisingly, Mike and Terry, kind of like the, the Wiggles or I don't know, you know, whatever. But uh, about 10 years ago, we decided to change the name to maybe a grown-up rock and roll official name. It was Mike's idea to call the band uh, Raised by Gods. And so typically the way Raised by Gods works is Mike the drummer sets up in his fourth bedroom and records his drums, records a performance or a some kind of a composition. And then he sends me the tracks I get them on the East Coast. I upload them into Pro Tools, my recording uh, setup. I listen to his drums. I get inspired. And then I write a song to his drums. And then I play the guitars and the keyboards and the bass and I sing. And then when it's done, I send him a copy of the mix. And then he gets a song and he hears a song that he's playing on that he's never actually ever heard before in his life. And so we had a bunch of those songs. And then that's where... Full Circle comes where Neil Kernan, after we did the uh, Lord Tracy reunion 
record in 2008, Neil says, well, I'm interested in what are you doing, you? So I sent him a song by Mike and Terry, the uh, upcoming Lord uh, Raise My Gods, and he mixes it. Well, it sounds so good. Well, I'm screwed now. Now I have to have him do it. So I give him all my money, and he mixes the first Raise My Gods, and that's where that record came from. So Mike typically records the drums first, sends them to me. I write a song to him, and that's him playing drums on a song he's never heard before. I think it's really interesting and a really cool cool way of getting inspiration. Mike doesn't play drums like just a simple ACDC plain blah. He has an idea, and all his rhythms and all his uh, hooks and everything. I mean, I couldn't write the songs without Mike. Without Mike, there's no Raised by Gods. Now, you've recently released a couple of singles. Is that kind of the the plan now, is just release a single as you kind of come into it? Well, I, I wish there was a plan, but um, when I sent the most recent Raised by Gods records, I want to say 2016, we did a record called uh, Too Late Now. Too Late Now, yeah. I had two more tracks that I had here at the house that I had recorded with one of my best friends, Jimmy Marcos. He's my drummer in my cover band here on the East Coast. The band's called Crayfish. That band is me, Jimmy Marcos on drums, Tom Rodante on bass, and Bob, uh, Bob Rambo on guitar. Well, uh, Jimmy came in and helped me cut the tracks. The songs were um, Find Me a Woman and uh, Like a Snake. So uh, Find Me a Woman. So Neil went ahead and mixed those songs at the same time that we did the uh, Raised by God's record in 2016. So I had those mixes. So in 2017, I, re- I put the uh, Find Me a Woman song out, which was me just trying to do a Lord Tracy record, Lord Tracy song. And that's actually Kenley on bass from Lord Tracy. And one of my best friends, Dave Heineman, is playing lead guitar on that. Neil mixed it, and we put it out in 2017. And then I just sat on it, and I had another song, The Like a Snake, and that's the same group. Me on uh, guitar and vocals, Jimmy Marcos on drums, Kenley on bass, and Dave Heineman on lead guitar. And Neil mixed that all at the same time. So I just kind of hang on to it and put those out. Um, I have a new song that I'm working on right now that I'm hopefully will get out pretty soon. And uh, we'll see how that comes out. Awesome. So one of the reasons we do this podcast, Terry, is because we obviously we want to expose bands we love, musicians we love, artists we love to people that just can't get music on radio anymore. There is no MTV anymore. It's all shit. Uh, And so we want to expose some of these bands that don't get love. So how can people best support you these days? What are you currently doing in music that people need to know about where can they go to get everything Terry Glaze? So I have a webpage, terryglaze.com. I have records on iTunes, Terry Glaze. I have Raised by God's records, Mike and Terry records, Lord Tracy records, all kinds of records. Let's see. I play in a band here in Maryland called Crayfish. It's a party band. We do like Tom Jones and Neil Diamond, and it will make you boogie like you've never boogied before um i do solos and duos i fly back and forth to the midwest and play shows with my uh band called 76 we do raise by god's tunes and you know lord tracy tunes uh last year lord tracy played a show 
in Memphis at the stage stop with the uh, four original guys, Jimmy Ruzadov, Chris Craig, and Kenley Wolf. We played a show at the stage stop. It was awesome. So I'm playing out there and I'm putting out songs. And uh, also I take cash. Uh, if you want to send it straight directly to me, that's fine. Uh, that would be great. Thank you. What? <laughs> that's it. Support your local musicians, people. Yeah. Whoop. This music's out there. It's great music. And we want to make sure that people go out and pick it up. And that's why we do this show. So before we shut things off and talk amongst ourselves without any kind of recording devices, we want to do a lightning round with you. So are you in? Always. All what? right. So here we go. Don't overthink these answers, brother. Hey, let me tell you something. If you don't know a lot about me, you already know I do not overthink anything. <laughs> just, That's a mistake. Just the way we like it, I promise you. Okay. Song you wish you'd wrote. Song I wish I wrote. Huh. Surrender. Non-rock metal guilty pleasure. Woo, tacos. <laughs> Fair enough. First concert. First concert, my mother took me to see Elvis Presley, 1972, Fort Worth, Texas. Wow. Thank, thank you, Mom. He was awesome. Sweet. Wow. If you weren't a musician, what would your dream occupation be? Man, that's a tough one. Married to a freaking high-level NASA scientist. Yeah, that's that's not actually an occupation. Well, if I... <laughs> But you're making it work. <laughs> Let me tell you, I am working hard here. <laughs> Favorite song to play live? I want you to want me. Awesome. Uh, band or artist you want to see live this year? Wow. Um, Fratelli's. Is that a band or an artist? It's a band. I think they're from Scotland. I could say Queens of Stone Age. Or Wilco, but I'm going to go with Fratelli's. Okay. Fratelli's is a local pizza joint just down the street from here, and they're awesome. They should check out Fratelli's music for Fratelli's pizza and try and do a, you know, a thing. A little partnership. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Name two Desert Island albums. Oh, wow. Okay. News of the World, Queen. All right. And uh, Heaven Tonight. All right. Fair enough. Great choices. Celebrity you met that made the fanboy come out of you? Brian May. Uh, I met Brian May New Year's Eve this year. He's also an astrophysicist, and he did not want to let me in to the musical bubble. He stayed very science. My wife is a big, famous scientist, and I was let down that I could not go jam with Brian May, but he was still, it freaked me out, and it was awesome. <laughs> Zeppelin or the Beatles? Oh, Beatles, shut up. Do you sing in the shower or the car? Both. Yes. I, I just want to say in the shower every day. In the shower every day. Also. What's he uh, singing? Anything. Oh God, anything. Anything. Like for until the water goes yeah, cold. Yeah, until it gets cold. <laughs> um, when I was in uh, Los Angeles Thanksgiving weekend, I got to meet Adam Savage from Mythbusters. And that was maybe as cool as Brian May. I uh, don't hate. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take Brian May over that, but that's yes, cool. of course. <laughs> but it was Adam Savage, and he blows up a lot of cool shit. That's true. I've seen him. Favorite Kiss song? Shock Me, followed by Rocket Ride. Hello. 
And that is our lightning round. That was too easy. That was easy, right? I need bonus round. Come up with one more. One more that you're thinking, what's he going to say? Favorite Lord Tracy song. Oh, wow. Wow. What would it be? Probably out with the boys. Not even, I didn't even write that one. I love that song. It's fun, right? Yeah, it's fun. That band was just Southern Fried Van Halen. So before we bring this thing to a close, in all seriousness, I've heard you on a ton of interviews state how fortunate you are to have worked with so many great musicians. I'm going to tell you, great musicians do not hang out with talentless folks. Dude, you are great, bro. What you do is awesome. And uh, I don't think you get enough credit for it. And you don't take enough credit for it. So, Well, that is really nice of you to say. But let me just say, my first real band, I got to play in a band with Diamond Daryl. Okay? And then my next band is has, a ba- has Kenley Wolf in it. And my next band has Mike Malinan, a drummer who spent years in, uh, what was that band? Goo Goo Dolls. Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls. Thank you. I mean, boom, boom, boom. I am the luckiest guy in the world. And, and I know it. I think that's one of the uh, things that differentiates me is I realize how lucky I've been to be around great musicians. I'm on my original liver and I'm on my original wife. I mean, that's very unique. That is very unique in this business. And, and both, both of those things are really good things. But the bottom line is, and I think what Sonny's trying to get across is all those guys you mentioned, they are great musicians, but they're hanging out with a great musician in yourself, dude, you can sing, you can play guitar, you can write songs. I mean, we love your work. And, and the great thing about doing this podcast is that we don't, we don't really need to talk to anybody. I mean, we can just do theme shows and talk to whoever we want. We don't request to talk to people that we don't really care for. So thank you for doing this. Well, I just want to say thank you all so much for taking the time out of your day to, uh, you know, reminisce or talk about the future or whatever with me, because I feel so fortunate to be able to be part of this, cool rock and roll music thing that we talk about. And I know how lucky I've been. And I have been so fortunate to get to make music with some of the greatest musicians of our time. And all of these guys are amazing. And I'm just so thankful. And I just want to say thank you for uh, taking time out of your day because it's just so cool. All right. Well, so in true fashion, Terry, we're going to let you pick a song to play us out. Pick any song you want, and that'll play us out. And then don't don't leave us. We're going to stop recording, but we'll talk to you uh, here in a minute. What song do you want to close this show out? Okay. The song that just hit me right now is Cheap Trick off of Heaven Tonight on Top of the World. Boom, on Top of the World. I love that song. Good night, people. Good Later. Night, Tokyo. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.